Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning session of Sunday the 22nd of March 2009, entitled A Mother's Influence, and the Bible reading is taken from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1-5. to Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. Reading first of all from 1 Corinthians 13, 13, one verse says, And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. Then in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 to 5, I invite you to stand with me to honor the reading of God's holy and precious word. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, what a wonderful and glorious privilege to be here in your house once again this morning. Father, we thank you for the time that we have been able to, Lord, worship you in, in, in song and in prayer. Father, now as we turn to your word, we depend totally and completely upon you because, Lord, we come beseeching you that you would take and anoint thy servant, that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, may it not be the mere words of man, but may it be the words that you would have spoken this day. For, Father, we know that you know the need of each and every individual that is here. You know those truly who have experienced the new birth and those that have not. You know those who maybe that are your children that are walking afar off. Father, you know the burdens and the cares upon each and every heart. We commit each one to you at this time. Pray that through the power of your spirit, you would minister to each soul. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, as I've already stated, of course, it's what we know as Mother's Day. I've got a question for you, and it's not a trick question. How many of you here this morning were physically birthed by a mother. Would you stand to your feet, please? I'm just curious if there's anybody still sitting. <laughs> okay. Well, I ask that for actually for a reason. Maybe more for the preacher than for you. <laughs> I guess what we tend to call Mother's Day what we know began here in, in Britain around in, in the 17th century sometime. And of course, it was in the Church of England known as the, the Sunday of uh, Fourth Lent, uh, the Fourth Sunday of Lent. And of course, uh, we realized that originally it was a day that was given because many people worked as servants at that time. And it was a day when the servants were given the day off to be able to go back and to visit their mothers. And of course, they had this special seminal cake that was normally baked and taken back and shared. 
And they wanted to make sure because some of these people had to travel. Sometimes instead of just a one-day thing, it could be up to, to five days or whatever. But it was a, a day of the year that was set aside that everybody had at least that time during the year, even when they worked as servants or slaves uh, for other people, that they would get to visit with their mothers. Now, of course, like many other things, it became commercialized. It was first during the Civil War in the United States that someone had the idea to honor, and it was actually supposed to be a day of mothers in prayer for peace because, of course, during the Civil War, brothers were fighting against brothers and families against families, and this was a day that was set aside to, uh, for the mothers of all of these that were being killed in battle to come together and, and pray. But it was some years later in 1914 when President Woodrow Wilson made it an official holiday uh, through a lot of lobbying by some women. As a matter of fact, the lady that, uh, that first started, she, she died before it happened, and her daughter carried on. And, and eventually on her uh, deathbed, uh, she uh, already at that time said that, uh, uh, that there was part of her that wished that she had, uh, had never pushed for it to become a legal holiday because in doing so, it had become so commercialized. And, of course, that's what happens with so many of our holidays. Now, I ask you all to stand because I guess one of the things sometimes, have you ever heard the term complicated joy? Sometimes there's such a thing as complicated joy. Joy is not always as easy as it might seem. Well, I think that sometimes that, especially on days like Mother's Day and Father's Day, it can be a complicated joy. Why? Because there are some moms and dads who have been abandoned, that have been abused, Spouses have left them. There are some that even here today that may not even know your, your birth mother. There are those that don't think back on a favorable childhood. And of course, there are many that their mothers have already left this world. And so therefore, that's why it can be a complicated joy. I want to give you a couple of verses as to why that uh, I think that though it can be complicated for some, you know, the truth is, is that as brothers and sisters in Christ, we ought to be able to join in others' joy. And if you're here today, <laughs> chances are if you can't celebrate your birth mother, which I had you stand because at least... You would not be here today. You would not be the person that you are were it not for that mother somewhere. If she was not the godly mother that she should have been, then there's probably somebody else, maybe an adopted mom, maybe a dear saint that in God's house, a Sunday school teacher or someone else that took you and, and, and loved you and, and showed you that care. And of course, if you're in a situation where that you don't have much of that joy for yourself, you can look around at the children that are here today, and you can thank God for the godly mothers that they have. And of course, each and every one of us, though that 
in honor of our mothers today, the messages are going to be about women. The principles that I want to give you are just as relevant to us men. But we want to honor them. Now, in Romans chapter 13 and in verse 7, the Word of God says, Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. There are those that are due honor. And I can genuinely say that we pick a lot of days to celebrate a lot of great people in this world, whether they are famous politicians, people that have, have done great things uh, in their lifetimes, but if there's anybody that deserves our honor, it's the mothers. Second of all, our children today, they need to know that, yes, we do live in a troubled world, and we live in a time when times can be very difficult for them, but they also need to know that there's some good things in life, that there is hope in life. In Philippians chapter 4, Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 9, the Bible says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. <coughs> be careful, <coughs> literally, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. And of course, if you'll look back into Romans chapter 12, and in verse 15, the Bible says, with Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. You see, the truth is many times those that are hurting because they can't look back. And remember a loving mom, someone that cared for them in the way that a mother should, the way that God prescribes. And the truth is, we that did have, we need to be able to weep with them and they need to be able to rejoice with us. We find that one of the passages before we look back to our text for today, which is found in First Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, and notice what it says in verses 6 through 9. It says, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, 
though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love, in whom though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. You see, there is no such thing as long as we are on this side of glory. There is no such thing as perfect joy. There is no time when there's not going to be things around us in our lives, in those that we love and care for, that are difficult, that are complications. And yet the Bible teaches us to rejoice now and look for that day when our joy will be perfect, when there will not be the sorrow that will be mixed with it. And we find that in our passage where we're looking today, and I realize that this day being a day that is there to honor the mothers, the sermon's a little different, but I hope that though you may be a young person, a husband, Maybe you are here today, and for whatever reason, you're not a mother yourself. And I trust and pray that as we look at three simple things this morning that I want to give you concerning a mother's influence. You know, there are very few people in the world that have the ability to influence a life more than a mother. This is what Paul was writing to to young Timothy here. And of course, as he, as he writes to him, he, he's thanking God for him and he's greatly desiring him. But he goes back and he says there that uh, uh, verse 4 and 5, greatly desiring to see thee being mindful of thy tears that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith, that genuine faith. There was there was nothing fake, nothing feigned, nothing artificial about it that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Now, in being a parent, the Bible teaches us that there are great responsibilities that come with that. We have a verse that's given to us in Proverbs 22.6 that says, Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, that's a great promise, though I have heard it, I believe, mispreached, in that if you train a child in the way that he should go, that there is a guarantee of their salvation. Folks, there is nobody that can guarantee another's salvation. Salvation is by God's grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is the only pathway to it. But it's a tremendous promise. In the Bible, it's teaching us that if we train the child in the way he should go, when he's old, he'll not depart from it. He cannot get away from that training that you have given him. They cannot get away from those truths that have been there. You see, the travesty one day would be to stand before God. And your child, 
be turned away at the judgment seat because they were never taught the truth. They never knew the truth. And I remind you this, mothers and fathers alike, that there is no one in all the world that will have a greater influence on the training of your children than you. We find that we look back in history, we study some of those great, positive, history-making figures that often speak of the influence of their parents. Abraham Lincoln once quoted saying, All that I am, I owe to my angel mother. General Douglas MacArthur said, My sainted mother taught me devotion to God and a love of country which have ever sustained me. To her I yield anew a son's reverent thanks. The great preacher, G. Campbell Morgan, pastored many years, Westminster Chapel in London. Every one of his four sons became ministers. At a family reunion one time when the whole family was together and a friend came up and asked one of the sons, says, one father, four sons. Which one of you Morgans is the greatest preacher? He looked at his dad and he smiled real big. And he said, why, mother, of course. <laughs> and, you know, the truth is, is that time and time and time again, even those that have been blessed by God to be used in some special way, when they look back at all of the influences, all of the schooling, all of the universities, all of the degrees, all of the things that they have, time and again, they'll say the greatest influence in my life was my mother, my mother. We find that many of you have heard the saying, I'm sure, behind every successful man, what? A what? Behind every successful man, you're saying there's a good woman or something like that? Not that one, the other one. Behind every successful man, there's a shocked mother-in-law. <laughs> Everybody in life doesn't think you're going to be the greatest success in the world. But a mother always does. For a mother, you're her child, her son, her daughter. Nobody can match that. And by the same token, why do you think that it's so difficult sometimes because there's nobody that's really good enough to be married to your child? Nobody's really that perfect in life. So sometimes it can take a lot of years, if ever, to uh, win the in-laws over uh, to at least that you're acceptable, if not uh, quite up to par. Um, now, I think one of the amazing things is that one of the things that oftentimes mothers as well as dads probably fret and worry over the most is material things. You know, that your child doesn't have this, that, or the other that, that the other children do. And yet we find time and time and time again that just isn't true. Now, I know that in our congregation here that we have a, a number of families that the mothers homeschool and teach their children. What a phenomenal responsibility to take on. And yet, why do they do that? 
I can tell you because they love their children. Because they want them to have the very best training that they possibly can. Well, maybe as an encouragement to you moms especially that have taken on that responsibility, and also maybe as a reminder to all of us of just how little material things have to do with the training of our children and who they turn out to be. I know that I read the story of a couple by the name of Harry and Ada May Day. Their first child was born. They lived so far out in the country in Texas that it was 225 miles that they had to travel to El Paso to get to the hospital for this child's delivery. Now, that's living in the sticks. <laughs> we find that when they took this baby back home, she went home to a four-room adobe house. Everybody know what an adobe house is? It's a house made out of mud and dirt. That house didn't have any inside electricity, had no running water, and there was no kind of school with any kind of distance that it made it practical to get that child to. But they didn't let that deter them. We find that Harry had actually been forced to take over the ranch when his father died. He was supposed to be going to Stanford University. But of course, suddenly the money was gone from that and he had to take over the family farm we find that they began to just teach this daughter themselves and the other children that followed. And they taught them themselves. And they made sure that there was all the right materials in the home for them to, to read and to study. They did things like they took one whole summer away. And they traveled to all the state capitals west of the Mississippi so that their children would be able to to firsthand be able to see these things for themselves. And of course, we find that that young lady, Sandra, she did go to Stanford one day where her father couldn't go to law school. And she went on to become the first woman justice ever to sit on the Supreme Court of the United States of America. We find that on the day of her swearing in, her brother said, she looked around, saw us, and locked her eyes right into ours. And that's when the tears began to fall. You see, we can look at a lot of things that would motivate a woman like that. And yes, there's intelligence and there's that inner drive. But even in her own words, most of the credit went to a determined ranch mom that had very little in the physical to give to that child, to even use in educating that child. And yet through her love, she gave all that she had. She was willing. You know, that's the thing that distinguishes a mother's love from all the other loves. I'm not sure that there are words that would really describe it. We read there in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 13 that there were these three things 
Faith, hope, charity. But the greatest of these is charity. And of course, that word charity, we would probably use the word love today. It was a stronger word for love. We love everything. <laughs> we love our chocolate. We love our sports cars. We love our nice homes. We love our clothes. We love everything. That's not what the word charity means. Faith, hope, charity. Well, I want to use just a, just a, a bit of that because a mother's influence, I think one of the greatest influences, mothers, that you can have on your child is your faith. This is no less for the fathers. And of course, we all know that the great author said there, no man is an island unto himself. All of our lives will influence lives of those around us. As I'm speaking directly to you mothers today, this truth is just as applicable to everyone else. You see, Exodus chapter 10 verse 2 says, And that thou mayest tell in the ears of thy son and of thy son's son what things I have wrought in Egypt and my signs which I have done among them, that ye may know that I am the Lord. They must see your faith. You must share that faith of what God has done and of what God is doing. In Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 18, in, uh, 18 to 23, we see here that we're not only to teach them to know the Lord, but to live that, to keep those commandments. He says, Therefore shall ye lay up these my words in your heart and in your soul, and bind them for a sign upon your hand, that they may be as frontless between your eyes. And ye shall teach them your children, speaking of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Thou shalt write them upon the doorpost of thine house, and upon thy gates, that your days may be multiplied, and the days of your children in the land which the Lord sware unto your fathers, to give them as the days of heaven upon the earth, for if ye shall diligently keep all these commandments which I command you to do them, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and to cleave unto him, then will the Lord drive out all these nations from before you and ye shall possess greater nations and mightier than yourselves. You see, it's through your faith, your living faith, you can spout words all day long. But if they don't see that faith in action in your life, what kind of an influence is it really going to have through your life? That child needs to be taught to, to know the Lord and to allow his paths to be directed by that Lord. And of course, they need to realize also that... There are judgments. There are judgments if we don't. Joel chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, the word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel, hear this, ye old men, and give ear, all ye inhabitants of the land. 
Hath this been in your days or even in the days of your fathers? Tell ye your children of it, and let your children tell their children and their children another generation. You see, the children have to recognize in our faith, yes, the importance, the necessity of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, the importance of trusting this word. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. We can talk about having a faith all the time, but this is where faith comes from. This is what faith is all about. Do we live it? Do we believe it? And our children need to recognize. They need to see that in the home, in the lives of mom and dad that loves them dearly. Find that some years ago, there was an article in a magazine. I made some notes here, some, some astounding figures. These figures related to two families. Going back to 1677, there was an immoral man that married a very licentious woman. In other words, their life was based upon sin. 1,900 descendants came from that generation that began with that one union, that one man and woman. Of those generations, 771 of them turned out to be criminals. Two arrested for various offenses. 60 were thieves. 39 were convicted of murder. 145 were confirmed alcoholics. Ninety of them became prostitutes. Two hundred and eighty-five of them suffered from evil diseases. You see, these people spent a combined of thirteen hundred years behind bars. And when they worked it out, that cost the state of New York, even back in those days, over some three million dollars for one family's ancestry. Now, by the same token, there was another family that was known as the Edwards family from the same area. Matter of fact, the third generation included the great preacher Jonathan Edwards that brought great revival. We find that this man was a preacher when it all started, became a president of a Princeton University. Out of the union, some 1,344 descendants. 13 were college presidents. 65 were professors. 186 became preachers of the gospel. And many others were active in their churches. 86 became state senators. Three were congressmen. 30 were judges. And one even became vice president of the United States. Another 300 faithful, honest, hardworking farmers. You see... Their lives went in all kinds of different directions, but it was never found that any one of those ever spent a day in a jailhouse or a prison. You see, parents, moms, not every child of good parents is going to necessarily turn out to be a good child, a good adult, a good citizen. And thank God, 
Not all of the offspring of someone that is wicked and sinful will turn out to be bad. But the training of a child, the way he should go, the possibilities come so much from what prevails in that home. You see, our children should have a strong incentive because of our faith that, yes, we're teaching them, but we're also teaching them to live it. We find that faith, secondly, taking a little different order, love. That charity that's spoken of in 1 Corinthians 13. Titus chapter 2, verses 3 to 5, the Bible says, The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blaspheme. You see, the Bible teaches us over and over and over the importance of love. But the truth is, is that love needs to be put into action if it's going to accomplish anything in our children's lives. I was looking, I've got a little poem that I jotted down here, which I thought kind of describes in a way a mother's love. A mother speaking of her love to her child. Says, you are the trip I did not take. You are the pearls I cannot buy. You are my blue Italian lake. You are my peace of foreign sky. You are my Honolulu moon. You're the book that I did not write. You are my heart's unuttered tune. You are a candle in my night. You are the flower beneath the sun in a dark sky, a bit of blue. Answering disappointments blow with I am happy I have you. You know, I think that's the, that's the love of a mom. Yes, many times there are many things that maybe are sacrificed in the world. But to have that child, know that they're loved, and to love in return. That's not always easy, is it? You know, we like to think of love as it's all this exciting, joyful stuff. Sometimes love can be downright hard. It can be very difficult. You know, the Bible says that what is it that God said that those that he loves, he also does what? Chastens. <laughs> if he loves you, he's going to correct you. Proverbs 29, 15 to 17 says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. When the wicked are multiplied, transgression increaseth. But the righteous shall see their fall. Correct thy son. He shall give thee rest. Yea, he shall give delight 
unto thy soul. In Proverbs 13, 24, he that spareth his rod hateth his sons, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 15, foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Proverbs 19, verse 18, chasten thy son while there is hope, and let not thy soul spare for his crying. Proverbs 23, verses 13 and 14, withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with the rod, and shalt deliver his soul from hell. Now, the truth is, the Bible is trying to get a very clear point across here. And folks, it's not that child abuse is okay. <laughs> he has nowhere in there given that right. And I can tell you that with all the love and compassion and care in the world, that when I hear of, let alone see, a parent abusing a child, I do want to take the law into my own hand, God's law and man's law. Because there is no excuse for a child to be abused. But the Bible is getting something across very clear to us. It is hard. It is difficult. I can tell you honestly, as a father of six, that one of the hardest things that you will ever do in your life is when you have to chastise that child that you love. I don't know of any parent that loves their child that enjoys seeing the tears. The truth is, is that just as God would correct us, the alternative of letting that child go, he says here, is what you'd best be afraid of. While there's hope, you need to correct him. And yes, if that takes a spanking, and I know many disagree with that, and that's fine. But if that takes a spanking, if it takes taking something from that child that, that they love dearly, and yes, bringing disappointment and bringing a few tears, that is far better in them learning the seriousness of what they're doing as being wrong and the harm that will come from that if they're allowed to continue and carry on. It's not easy, but it's absolutely necessary is something that most of us find extremely difficult. <laughs> Mark Twain, <laughs> the author, wrote these words. He said, when I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. When I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much he had learned in seven years. <laughs> Remember what God said? Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. They're a child. They've been given to you to train them, to teach them what's right and wrong, to correct them. There is never anything, anything. I don't care if it's the most severe chastening or correction that you're ever having to bring upon that child. There is never a time that it needs to be done without love. Parents, anybody here that's a parent ever lost your temper? 
ever got to the end of your tether? Ever maybe raised your voice a bit more than you meant to or an octave higher than it was supposed to come out? Those things happen. I can only tell you this, that there's one thing I promised myself the time we first began to have children. That's that, yes, I would correct my children to whatever degree was necessary, but I would never, ever, ever do it when I was angry. You see, we can all get to the end of our tether. That's not the time to correct your child. You might set him down. He may know that the correction is coming, and he may need to sit there while you go off and count a hundred sheep or something before you come back. Never spank a child when you're angry. As a matter of fact, probably for any of us, if we're honest, the times in our life that we have spoken words that we would like to take back with our children times when we were angry, when we had lost it. Don't correct your child at those times. You see, correction should never come without love. You know, I was criticized when my children were really small. I was criticized by people that I respect and cared very much for because of the fact that if I had to spank my child's behind, by the same token, I would have them up in my arms and my lap lap, hugging them and telling them how much I love them. What's the point in spanking him and then turning around and petting him? Well, the correction's got nothing to do with a lack of love. It never should. It shouldn't come without the love. It should come with the love. There should never be a doubt in that child's mind how much that you love him, so much that you would never, ever do anything that would bring harm to him that you would never, ever, ever, as long as it was in your power and your means, let anyone else bring harm to that child. You see, correction must come with comfort. That's all part of it. That's all part of it. Isaiah 66, 13 says, As one whom his mother comforteth, so will I comfort you, and you shall be comforted in Jerusalem. God, in speaking to his people, <laughs> he's trying to let his people know how much that he wants to bring them comfort. And what does he liken it to? Like a mother's comfort. Like a mother's comfort. Now, I know at different times in children's lives, sometimes they may run to mom, and sometimes they may run to dad when this happens or that happens or whatever but I'm saying, folks, there is no comfort in the world that's greater than a mother's comfort. And by the same token, you know, just as God likens his comfort to that mother's comfort, you know, there's not a person here today that just like God, that you might be able to bring that same kind of comfort. It might be to one of the children that God sends along to this congregation. It might be a child in your own neighborhood or somebody that you know, somebody that's not getting that love at home that they should. And maybe God will use you in their life. Maybe he'll use your faith. Maybe he'll use your love 
to have the powerful influence upon that child because these principles are true. It's just that with a mom, there's something that's special about them. You see, we can look at a lot of things. One of the richest men in America at one time was a man by the name of Andrew Carnegie. Andrew Carnegie was a Scotsman, a Scotsman that had decided to move across and make it big in the new world. And he became the largest steel manufacturer in the United States. But at one time, he had 43 millionaires working for him. And this was quite astounding. And I mean, if you took a millionaire in those days to now, you'd be talking somebody that was multi-multi, you know, 20, 30, 40 million to compare to a, to a million. A reporter one time asked Carnegie why in the world that he had hired 43 millionaires. He responded simply, well, none of them were millionaires when I hired them. <laughs> they became millionaires as a result of my hiring them. The reporter's next question was, how did you develop these men to become so valuable that you have to pay them that much money? Replied the man, he said, they're developed the same way that gold is mined. When gold is mined, several tons of dirt must be moved to get an ounce of gold. But I never knew anybody that went into the mine looking for the dirt. They go looking for the gold. And of course, he said, that's exactly the way that parents develop positive, successful kids. Don't focus on always putting them down and complaining about their flaws and their warts and their blemishes. That's not what we're talking about when we're talking about correction by always making them feel that they're, they're never good enough. He said, look for the gold, not for the dirt. Look for the good, not just the bad. Look for the positive, not always the negative. It says, the more good qualities we look for in our children, the more good qualities that we're going to find. You see, we want to develop our children with their God-given abilities and talents, faith, love. The third one in that verse was hope. And, you know, we can look around us and we can begin to feel pretty hopeless in this society, can't we? You know, I want to say something to you today. You can, you can try to give your children hope in a lot of ways. You know, I believe with all my heart that their only real hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. The only hope that they have against all of the circumstances, all of the difficulties, all of the troubles that are around them and that they're going to face in this life is the hope that they have in Christ. The hope that they can have in this life right now and the hope that they'll have in a world to come. Mothers, fathers, how are they ever going to have that hope 
if it's not real within us. You see, a couple of those passages that we read earlier had another word that I think has to tie in very closely. We can talk about hope, but you know what I believe? I believe that if our children are really going to have that hope, that influence, they've got to not just hear it. They've got to see it. Jesus Christ has got to be a part of our life. We've got to be honest. It's not just pointing them. It's not just sending them off to Sunday school someday. It's not just telling them how they ought to be living. But it's being honest. Them seeing you for who you really are. Them seeing that that faith and that love at work in your life every day. Philippians chapter 4 verse 8 says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest. We read that earlier. Whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 18, pray for us. For we trust we have a good conscience in all things willing to live honestly. Proverbs 12, 22. Lying lips are abomination to the Lord. But they that deal truly are His delight. You see, our kids know us better <laughs> than everybody at church, than those that we work with, than our closest friends. They do get an opportunity to see all the warts, <laughs> to see all the bad things. And the truth is, you know, we've all got them. But I'm saying, when they look at us, a mother's influence, father's influence, Every Christian's influence. Do they see that faith that is alive in our lives? Do they see that love that is unconditional? Do you remember, I'll tell you this, and our time is gone and we'll come to a close. I've said before that, of course, I count it a tremendous privilege to have been raised in a Christian home. I counted a tremendous privilege to have had a mom and a dad that genuinely loved the Lord, that genuinely loved me, that genuinely loved others. I've said many times, I've, I've got more warts and more things than I want to see, let alone you, and you can find them just if you want to look for them can't find them, I can point some out to you. Don't worry, there, there's plenty of them there. You know, the thing was that I've said oftentimes that it's really what we're looking at here this morning, that influence, that living faith, that living love. I've said that if there was one thing that, that I could have in any kind of a small portion that my own father had in his ministry, it was the ability just to love people unconditionally. 
not to expect them to do something in return, not to expect them to have to live up to my standards or anybody else's standards, but to love with a God kind of love, grace, an unconditional love. You know that when you stop and think about it, that God loved the worst, most horrific sinner that ever walked the face of this earth so much that he was willing to die for him. Should we do any less? Should we do any less for our children? Even when they haven't met our expectations. I've seen parents cut their children off when they got to adulthood for all kinds of crazy reasons. Because they maybe turned away from their faith and were living in sin. I've seen some cut them off because they went and joined the wrong denomination <laughs> instead of being in the one like dad was in. <laughs> Folks, your children, they deserve your unconditional love. That doesn't mean you condone their sin ever, ever, never, under any circumstances. And your children should know that they don't bring their sin into your home either. But the love should never be in question. Your faith should never be in question. You don't have to compromise your faith in order to love your child. They need hope. They need to see a living, honest hope that they can see through you. That that hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you, if you're here this morning, you may have had the best or the worst parents you may be able to rejoice as I can in a Christian mom that was able to teach you and show you the things of God. You may not. Your mother may be alive or your mother may be gone. Your mother may have raised you or she may not have. There may be others in your life that have, have filled that slot that was just important because of the influence that they had upon you. I want to say to you this morning, there is a hope. Your hope, regardless of your past, your hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is there for you today. Mothers, I for one, I openly, unashamedly, I want to honor you today. You deserve that honor. If you're here and you're a godly mom, I want to thank you for being one. If you're here and maybe you wasted some of those years and you weren't, but you've come to know Christ now, thank God. As long as you've still got breath, you're still a mom. You can still influence those lives to the best of your ability. Mothers, we honor you today. But if you're here today, there's one that can be your mother, your father, you're all in all. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. He will be everything that you need in this life. When all the others have forsaken you, he'll be there for you. And if you don't know him as your Lord and Savior, and I don't mean that you've got a good dose of religion. I don't mean that somehow you've tried to 
genuinely do your good bid. But I'm saying, have you genuinely trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? He's there for you. Moms, we're going to sing for our closing hymn this morning. Not in your books. Uh, I can't give you a page number. God sent his son. They called him Jesus. He came to love, heal, and forgive. He lived and died to buy my pardon. An empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives. Why? Because he lives. Because he lives today, you can face tomorrow. Mm -hmm.